We all love paying it forward. However, are you up for the ultimate paying it forward gift? Welcome to Love Life, featuring your host, Jane Donovan. The sun shines bright as it moves across my face. I feel the light. My guests today are activists for encouraging people to give the ultimate gift the gift of life through organ donation. My guests today are activists for encouraging people to give the ultimate gift, the gift of life through organ donation. Joining me on the couch is Cassie, a recipient of two corneal transplants after losing her sight in her teenage years. Also joining me is Lee Barthel, the daughter of an organ donor and author of a book for children to support them through a traumatic time. And Philippa Jones, Donation Specialist Nursing Coordinator with Donate Life SA. I feel this is an important conversation to have. As a culture, we just don't do death well. It's something most of us are not in a hurry to experience and we certainly struggle often to have the conversations with loved ones about, well, what happens when? That said, my recent conversation with the gorgeous Ben Lee, a death doula, besides being an amazing musician, has injected positivity that we are starting to head in a direction of understanding and embracing death in a more positive, heart-centered and loving manner. Now, if you want to have a listen to my chat with Ben, check out episode 205 and I'll pop the link in the show notes. As with many of the episodes, I love to share stories of the ripple effect, of how heart-centered actions create great change for others. And so often, those others, well, they're just not known to us. We don't get to hear the great stories. And yes, to hear is validating. It's encouraging. And while it's not necessary, it sure makes us feel so good. So today, I want to celebrate life and the ultimate gift we can give the gift of organ donation. It's time for Heart Talk. Cassie is now 27 years old. However, at only 14 years old, she started to go blind. Traumatic for anyone. However, even more heartbreaking in a gorgeous teenage girl who prior had lived her life with full sight. By 20, she was blind. Cassie is the recipient of two corneal donations, receiving the first corneal transplant at the age of 20. I start by asking Cassie, how has this changed her life? It certainly uh, changed my life. Um, You know, prior to the transplants, I was losing my vision. Um, You know, I was refusing refusing to go out. Um, You know, I, I I wasn't living life, that's for sure. So can I ask how old you are, Cassie? Uh, currently, I'm 27. And At how... the time, I was 20 of my first transplant. That's incredibly young to be losing your vision, isn't it? Yeah, it's, uh, it certainly turns your world upside down, you know, because you, you're watching your friends uh, go out and achieve things that you wanted to achieve, you know, like driving cars and, um, you know, they've just had that more independence than what I had and so was this an illness that you had for a long time or was it something that was suddenly happening? Were you born with it? What was the history of losing your sight? Uh, so I started to lose my eyesight uh, during high school. So I was about, uh, I think, 15, 14, 15 at the time. Um, so, 
you know, as you're sort of going into year 10, uh, losing, your, starting to lose your sight's not the, the best thing to be going through. <laughs> no, so up to that point, there was no indication you were living life as a completely, oh, I don't like the word normal, <laughs> we're all normal, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> what's normal, it's a setting on a dryer. <laughs> um, <laughs> but up to that point, you were living what we consider to be an an average, everyday, normal life of a, a 14, of a teenage girl going about her business. And like most of us probably believing that life's not going to change too drastically. I'm just going to go on living forever and my health will be fine. And then you were suddenly starting to lose your sight. I can't even imagine how terrifying that must have been for you. Uh, it was in the beginning, like, I mean, you don't realise at the time that you're, you're losing your sight because what you're seeing you think is normal. It's not until you get, like, your first pair of glasses and you go, oh, there's, you know, like, there's lines on leaves and, you know, there's definition again. And then you go, oh, I've been missing a bit for a while. I was diagnosed with a condition called keratoconus and it's where the cornea thins and it changes shape, which distorts the vision. So in the beginning, it was managed through glasses and contact lenses and, you know, that, that was all fine. But over time, the vision continued to deteriorate where glasses and contact lenses were no longer an option. And so you got to a point that you were pretty much housebound and told that you had to have a transplant or you were going to be 100% blind. Is that right? Not total blind. Um, like there, there was still... Uh, you know, like it was extremely blurry, so I, there was still I could still see some things, but yeah, there was no definition to it. Um, so I was using cane um, to get around. Wow! And so, did you have to wait for a long time to be a recipient to a donor? So I was put on the list in January, and I wasn't expected to receive a transplant till about April. Um, then out of the blue in uh, February, I received a call um, to say that there was a, a cornea for me. And I imagine that that would have been incredibly exciting to hear. But did that also, was it bittersweet knowing that somebody has passed away as a result of this incredible gift? It was a strange emotional uh, time. Yeah, I, I still remember it as if it was yesterday. Um, you know, you, you go into this shock uh, because, like, like I said, I wasn't expecting it for another few months and, you know, I wasn't prepared for it. And, you know, you, you're thinking about the donor family and what they must be going through and in between that you're trying to think of what you need to do to uh, get ready to go into hospital the next day and, yeah, it's just a, a roller coaster of emotions. I can only imagine but how amazing that you now have wonderful vision. And what has this gift meant to you with, with regards to everyday life? How has your life changed as a result of now being able to see? Uh, so it's uh, changed quite uh, dramatically. I've you know, regained my independence. Um, so just before the second transplant, I actually purchased uh, my own home. Um, Congratulations. So <laughs> thank you. <laughs> Uh, you know, I've also been uh, travelling all over the world now, so, um, yeah, I'm living life.
Joining us also is Donation Specialist Nursing Coordinator with Donate Life SA, Philippa Jones. I imagine that this is one of the most sensitive areas to work in and at a time of deep trauma for family and friends that are involved. I start by asking Philippa, is this something that is very time sensitive and does everything have to move really fast? Uh, well, I guess um, it doesn't need to move really fast. I guess what makes our job the most challenging is that we come in and meet families at one of the most challenging and sad times of their lives. They've either just lost the one person that they love or they know that they're going to. And so the skill of us is to go in and offer them support at end of life. And I think part of exceptional end of life care is talking about their opportunity to donate organs and tissues for transplantation so once you know once we go and meet the family I mean it usually takes about 24 hours for us to arrange that whole entire donation process and that's supporting the family that's I guess finding the best recipients for the gift that this family are going to give Uh, we go to theatre with that person and then we follow up the family afterwards Um, the important thing is that people say yes to organ donation because they want a positive outcome so listening to Cassie's story and her that bittersweet feeling that somebody's had to die for her to regain her sight the donor families don't see it that way they appreciate that nobody caused this to happen to the person they love but what they're doing is giving that gift they're paying it forward and I think that's the most powerful thing working with these families is they're so proud they're so proud of this one person to maybe change the lives of up to 10 people with one gift and I think that's amazing that is amazing Do you find, Philippa, that there is resistance to some families where perhaps the person that has passed away has clearly stated they want to be an organ donor? But do some families really struggle with supporting that? Uh, Families are much uh, less inclined to go against your wishes if they know what they are. So if you've registered on the Australian Organ Donor Register, if you had a meaningful conversation with your family, look, they are more likely to say yes. They want to uphold your wishes and they want something positive to come. Families, this is an incredibly difficult time for them. They're distraught. They're often sleep-deprived. Most of the deaths are sudden and unexpected. So decision-making is really impaired. It's incredibly difficult for these people to make rational, enduring decisions, and that's my role, is to support them. And, you know, people say that we shouldn't go against donation wish but I care for those families that are still here and I think if this is going to damage them more then my job is to look after the people that are still here and it's about working and supporting those families and making sure that the best decision for them on that day is what happens. Is it encouraged for recipients to contact the donor families? How much of that goes on because I could imagine that as being absolutely beautiful and such a divine connection from trauma look it is we have incredibly strong privacy and confidentiality laws so we can't exchange names or any of those things but certainly as i said donor families say yes to donation because they want somebody to you know to have a positive life so any Uh, correspondence that comes from recipients to our donor families is just cherished and it's highly encouraged on the other side I can see sometimes the recipients take some time to write 
something and some of them never do and it doesn't mean they don't appreciate the gift it's just they don't know what to say but I would just say that to anybody that that has received an organ or tissue those two words of thank you are the most powerful words that you can jot down it doesn't have to be a letter it just has to be thank you and and our donor families just love to hear that because they they know it's a gift and they'll never know what happened to that precious gift they gave but sometimes just learning that is so important so we do highly encourage you know people just to send something back and in fact sometimes our donor families are those that reach out first and they just want to tell you a little bit more about the person you know that that gave you that organ and it's yeah it's just beautiful when it when it happens and yeah it's lovely Cassie are you curious about who was the donor for you Oh, I mean, it's it's something that's always on on your mind, um, you know. Just in relation to writing to the the donor family, it took me, I think, two years to finally send off that letter to say thank you. I wrote, rewrote that letter so many times because you're trying to find the right, you know, words to to say, you know, how grateful and and thankful you are. It's it's a really tough letter to write. I love, Philippa, your words of really it's just those two words, thank you, isn't it? Mm. I'm a blood donator and I received, not long after I first started many years ago, I received a letter uh, that was a very personal letter. It was handwritten saying, thank you for donating blood. This is what's happened to me. This is my story. This is how you know people like you have saved my life. And not just that, but this man was a father of many children. And it, it had a beautiful emotional side to it. Now, clearly it wasn't my blood that had gone to this particular guy. However, that's irrelevant, isn't it? It's really... And that's what I'm hoping that part of us doing this story today on this episode is for people to understand that... To say thank you, it doesn't have to be beautifully written. It doesn't have to be articulated gorgeous. It just is that powerful feeling of knowing that you've made a difference in someone else's life. It's incredibly self-fulfilling, I feel. It is. And I, you know, when I talk, because we often will talk to high school students or community groups, which we're always happy to go out and, and speak to people and just try and share a little bit about organ and tissue donation, I talk about the two points in our physical life are the moments we're born and the moments that we die because it's going to happen to all of us. What is the cool stuff is the stuff in the middle, the stuff that we do in our lifetime, the decisions, the love, the heartbreak, all of those amazing things that we have as humans. It's at the end of life that you can make that decision to pay it forward to somebody else, to allow another family, another Christmas or another birthday to allow that person to reach their full potential because that's what we want. We want people to be given an opportunity to reach that potential, to experience all that life has. And I think that's such a powerful thing as well. What fears do you think, Philippa, people have that prevent them from registering as an organ donor when they're in the prime of their life? Oh, look, I think it's difficult. We all like to think that we're going to live forever we don't necessarily think about our own mortality and I think uh, you know particularly when we have children or when you know big moments in our lives are occurring we don't want to think about that uh, the finality of our life and and so a lot of people just don't get around to it I think I, uh, there's probably a little bit of that apathy that has you know in our communities um, people sometimes concerned I guess when families I meet families they don't want that loved one to suffer anymore and it's about ensuring that they understand about 
that their loved one has died or will be dying and there will be no more pain, there will be no more suffering. And the, if this gift of donation won't add to that, it actually will pay forward some pleasure into some other family because they're getting that person that they love back to their full potential. So sometimes it's, yeah, I think it's just the apathy. Um, we Australia is such a big country and we, we separate things into states. And in here in South Australia... We have over 60% of our population registered on the Australian Organ Donor Register, and that's by far the highest in the country. So for us, it's about encouraging people to make that decision for themselves. This is an autonomous decision you make for you. You register and your family need to uphold your wishes. So I think it's a powerful thing that we should encourage people. You know, you you have a choice over this. This is something you can choose to do. And I, I guess it's trying to encourage people and educate them about what does it mean to become an organ and tissue donor and how important it actually is. I have had a conversation with somebody who said they won't do organ donation because they want a body to be buried. Now, my understanding is, and they also wanted an open cast mm -hmm. and my understanding is that the beautiful physical body is actually very well respected in this process is that true look that is the concern for people about the desecration of the body or will will we able to to view the body after we've donated and the surgery and i say to people that absolutely you can organ donation surgery is some of the most highly respected and respectful but also it's incredibly uh, challenging we need those organs to be the most pristine. Sometimes people talk about a, a slash and grab, which sounds awful, and I don't mean to put that in people's yeah, minds. No, that's perfect. We need to use yeah. these words because this yeah. is the conversation that people are not having, but it's yeah. in their mind, and let's get it out and talk about it openly. That's right. So it's not. Um, as I said, these organs, to work properly in their new in their new home, need to be retrieved impeccably it's incredibly difficult and intricate surgery so we have cardiothoracic surgeons that will come and retrieve the heart and the lungs we have highly specialized abdominal surgeons that will come and retrieve the liver the pancreas the kidneys the intestine all of these organs are treated with such high respect because they need to be perfect the donor family is always honored and the donor is always honored we always stop moment and, and we thank the person you know for the gift that they're giving and Afterwards, the, the body is sutured up as any other person would be after any operation. The dressings, everybody is cleaned and washed and their hair is brushed and we care for them. And, you know, the families receive that person back to do what they what what their religion, what their customs, what their culture determines that we do. And we are always respectful of that. And I think the families need to understand we play music, we have photographs. We can bring teddy bears into theatre. We do all of those things so that the donor family knows that that person is not alone and that that person is a person and they're not just coming to theatre with us. That, so we honour them very much, you know, and, and I think that's important for people to understand. Cassie, I'd love to ask, you had your beautiful letter that took you two years and a hundred <laughs> different drafts to write and then you yes. sent it off. I'm yes. just curious. It does, I, I understand that not everybody, everyone is going to enjoy receiving that but it may be just as difficult for the recipient of that letter to be able to write back but did you hear did you hear from the donor family no i haven't heard from either of them were you attached to that outcome or did you wish to just literally send your love send your gratitude and thanks without the need to hear back from them yeah i, I wasn't expecting 
you know, to receive anything. You know, for me, I just wanted to just express how, how thankful I was and what it's what the gift has enabled me to do. Philippa, I was surprised to hear you say that 60%, did you say, in South Australia, uh, people yeah. are, regi- are registered as donors? That's, that's correct. So in the whole of Australia, so we have a population of about 24 million people, uh, last year 502 people were able to become organ donors. And that sounds like a really small number and people are often incredibly surprised. Um, and so it's important to also understand that less than 1% of the population will die in a particular way that allows organ donation to occur. Tissue donation is by far the more common of all of them and so there were thousands of tissue donors and tissue is things like cornea, uh, bone, skin, heart valves, Um, so blood, I mean you can donate blood when you're alive and that's classed as a tissue as well. So there's lots of other ways so if you you can't be a solid organ donor then there is a a great opportunity to be a tissue donor. So there's also another way that people can transform and improve other people's lives just by the gift of tissue. That's great to know because, you know, we all hope that we're going to be blessed to live very, very long lives and that we kind of, you know, go sliding into that that coffin <laughs> sideways going, yeah, great party. And, you know. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, so there's the, uh, you know, the 90-plus really tired, very well-worn-out body. It's still Beautiful. useful. It's still useful in some ways. Absolutely. I'm led to believe when I last spoke to the iBank of South Australia that the oldest corneal donor was 99. So, and I just reflect on what is that, what have those eyes seen in those 99 mm. years? And now they're paying it on again and allowing somebody else like Cassie in her 20s to, to see some amazing sights as well. So please don't ever think you're too old, you're too sick, that you smoke or you drink or, you know, some of the lifestyle choices. That that doesn't stop you from being a donor. You still have an opportunity to give that gift. This is the ultimate pay it forward story. So Cassie, thank you so much for sharing. Any final words that you would like to share to encourage people to participate and become potentially in the future an organ donor? Uh, well, I'd just uh, you know, like to recommend to people to have that discussion about organ and tissue donation. You know, I tell my story because, you know, I know how much receiving two corneas have helped me and if my story can, you know, help encourage people to have that conversation, then, you know, that's all I can ask. Philippa, how do people participate in registering if they haven't done so already in Australia. Now, bearing in mind, I know this is international, so many of our listeners are going to have to, you know, Google within their own countries. But within Australia, what do they do? So in Australia, we Medicare holds the rights to the Australian Organ Donor Register, so it's a confidential uh, register, and you can jump online. You can visit them at uh, medicare.com. You can also go through the donatelife.gov website as well, and we can link it through. At any uh, Medicare office, you can pick up uh, a pamphlet which will give you some information and at the back there's a registration form that you can fill in and postage is free. You can send that back. Um, There are many ways. Uh, I guess the important thing is to do that but also have that conversation with the family, as Cassie said, because it's them I'm going to be talking to about you. And it's a two-way conversation because I may be talking to them about you but I might be talking to you 
about them. And it's it's having a conversation as a family to go, well, this is what we do as a family and these are the decisions I want. You know, when I can no longer make them for myself, can you please uphold my wishes? And that's the important thing. So there's plenty of ways. Uh, we still have the licence here in South Australia as well, so you can tick a box on your driver's licence. Is that enough? I thought I'd heard that that's not enough. So certainly it is in so in South Australia we will still upload that information to the Australian Organ Donor Register. Now that goes on as an intent. So it's something that you've ticked a box. If you go online or you fill in the pamphlet, it's considered a consent. So there's a little bit of different terminology. So one's an intent, I've thought about it. So we'll upload that, um, but one is a consent. I mean, you've read information, you've filled in this form. This is a this is a really powerful tool that you've used. So I know that when I go and meet your family, that that I'm going to advocate for your wishes. I'm going to be your voice when you are no when you no longer have a voice for yourself. And I think that's the important thing that that families you know need to understand is that it's we're talking about the individual we're not talking about a family but we want to do the best by that person so please register your intent so i can i can be your voice leah barthel sadly lost her mum christine in 2011 after a sudden bleed to the brain christine gave the ultimate gift that resulted in three people having their lives saved including a recipient of a double lung transplant I want to apologise also for the quality of the audio. Unfortunately, we did have a few troubles. However, Leah's story is so beautiful that the words are important to be shared. I asked Leah if she was aware of her mum's wishes to be an organ donor. Mum had actually discussed it with me from the age of 10. Now, to a lot of people out there, they would think, gosh, that is a really weird conversation to have. Um, But when... The whole reason why mum was so passionate about it was because my dad was killed in a car accident when I was two years of age. And my dad was only 24 years old when he died. So mum felt that it was such an awful waste of a life. There was nothing that anyone could do to bring him back. Um, But she, the grief and the overwhelming... Um, situation she found herself in as a 22-year-old, she just wished that someone had been able to spare her that pain. So had someone given the gift of life or had Dad given the gift of life, maybe he would have saved a few other families feeling that way. Knowing what we know now, there's no way in the world he could have been an organ donor. But the thing was that was the massive catalyst that actually created her passion around wanting to be an organ donor and she went to great lengths to make sure that happened. Beautiful. I'm sorry you lost your father so young too. Now, Leah, was there anybody in the family that wasn't supportive of your mum's decision? No. No, it it didn't even... I'm an only child, so... At the end of the day, the decision stopped with me. There was no one else that um, no one else really had an input. But more importantly, within our family, it was Mum's wishes, and that's what she wanted. And she talked to me probably two or three times within the few years prior to her passing. Um, and and in saying that, that is the most important thing anyone can do because. My mum was registered on the AODR, which is the Australian Organ Donor Register. She 
had it on her driver's licence, which was a legal form at the time of her passing, um, and she'd had the chat. But ironically, I still had the power to overturn it. And that was the most distressing part of the whole process, that I, in my grief, could have quite easily overturned that. And it was just, yeah, that was awful. That was because mum was being a northern donor, she was treated like there was no, like so beautifully. She was she was looked after and cared. I know that she would have received the same care, but the way they looked after her and cared and nurtured her and made sure she was okay was beyond words. It was just beautiful. So it definitely has helped you knowing that you've helped others in your grieving process, do you feel? Yeah, and I this this absolutely has been part of our healing as a family. Not only um, knowing that she's helped those families, but the processes, um, our organ donor coordinator created a moment about two hours before we turned off the machine. And she um, asked if I wanted to take my mum's handprint. And that was just so beautiful because my mum was a school teacher and it was like she was finger painting on her last day. And that handprint has just been a massive part of our healing. It's been something that has helped not only myself, my children, my grandmother when she was alive, um, and so many other people. It was just absolutely beautiful. But most importantly, what that moment created for us, like we were in this white, sterile ICU room and we had mum covering red paint and we were hysterically laughing and this joy-filled pain or pain-filled joy, however you want to say it, entered the room and it was this magical moment that I always have to treasure. And that's something that was so unexpected before you're about to face one of the toughest moments in your life. And that was totally created by our organ donor coordinator, our nurse. So um, the other part of the healing has been the letters. And the letters, I can guarantee every single time I'm having a tough moment, a letter arrives on my doorstep. And is there, are, these, are these letters from the recipients? Yes, that's correct. I've received probably about four or five now. Yeah, it is It is so special. And the privacy laws within Australia, um, just like they keep their um, identity anonymous. So when mum first donated her organs, we knew that I, I knew there were two ladies received a kidney each and one lady who was 29 received mum's lungs. So we knew that information and they give you a little bit of brief description but we were given a form that asked if we were open to receiving letters from our recipients and that was something that I just really wanted to know that she, they were okay and they had um, survived the process and that they were doing okay so I said that I would definitely want to hear from them um, after that happened, um, I received a letter from one of mum's kidney recipients and that was the first letter I received and that was 
a beautiful letter. It was it was really um, it was tough. It was really tough to read, um, but it was beautiful at the same time. And it, it, it does does take a little bit of a toll on you when you receive these letters. Um, and then I had the toughest time after Mum died, probably about nine, ten months after she passed. And it was like a realisation that she wasn't coming back. And I was celebrating my birthday. It was my 40th birthday. Um, And it was something that I was supposed to be having an amazing time and celebrating and catching up with friends and family and it just wasn't the same without her there. It was traumatic. It was the darkest place that I've, I've ever been. And it was somewhere where I've never been before. And so then I received the letter from the girl that got my mum's lungs. Leah, I want to ask about yeah. your children. Did you tell your children that, uh, that grandma was going to be donating organs? Yeah, we did. Um, well, as you can imagine, they saw mum the day before and then all of a sudden um, we had them, we actually didn't involve the children in the process because they thought there could have been a possibility that they would get the bleed under control and mum may make a, a recovery. So we didn't let the children know at that point. It wasn't until the neurologist said that things were very grim that we decided to let the kids talk to the children. Um, that was the worst conversation of my life. It was it was awful. My children were eight and ten at the time. And my mum was a massive part of their life. She taught at the school that they attended so they saw her every single day. So it was it was really hard on them. Did they understand the concept of organ donation? Yeah, we, we tried to put it into childlike terms. Ever since I was little, death's always been part of the conversation because it happened to me so young. So I think um, there had been a a brief conversation, nothing too in-depth, but just that sometimes when you pass away, you can give the gift of life but actually save someone else's life. So it was more, you know, not too much into the nitty-gritty but enough to give them a little bit of an idea. And do your children also read the letters that you receive from the recipients? Yeah, I've sat down with them, especially the one that I received around my birthday. That that was the turning point for me. That was the biggest part of my healing because at that point in my life, I was feeling like an orphan and I was 40 years of age. I was an adult. I had my own children, but this sense of being the one left behind when mum and dad had both died. and So you shared the stories of the recipients with your beautiful children. You've then written a gorgeous book, a children's book, about organ donation. I have. Bearing in mind that that conversation with the kids was one of the toughest conversations that I've ever had to have, um, I... I had thought of the idea of a book at the time, but it just sort of escaped me. 
then Christmas Eve last year, I received a phone call from a friend of mine I went through school with asking me if there were any resources to talk to children um, as his brother-in-law had had a massive seizure and they decided to donate his organs and wanted to be able to talk to his little boy about it. And I didn't know of any resources, but I put him in touch with the right people and the team, there's a massive team behind you when you actually go down the process of organ donation. There's social workers, there's all these people in there behind the scenes that are working to help make this process as um, seamless and as cathartic as they can. Um, and so that really stuck with me because I, I think especially as mum thinking, oh, my gosh, losing a loved one at, on Christmas Day, it's just not that awful. And so I, it, it stuck with me and around New Year's Day I just had this book title in my head and it, the book just came to me. And so the book is focusing on the fact that it is about organ donation, but it's also from a child's perspective. So therefore, it's not scary. It, it tells them about that loved one passing over, um, about all the ways that that loved one possibly could be near them later on in life. Um, and the book is called A Gift Before I Go. Now, you've also turned this book into like a memento book, is that right? Or a memory book? Yeah, as I mentioned before with the handprint, that was probably one of the most healing points of our journey. And since I've done a little bit of speaking for organ donation around that, my auntie actually had that handprint put onto a necklace for mum's first birthday after she passed away and it just on those days when I'm having a tough day I hold it and it just feels like she's with me it's like she's holding my hand Um, since I've spoken at a few events other other donor families have made the comment wow I would have loved something like that or I wish I'd had something like that for my loved one or my child passed away and I don't have anything like that. And that, I know how much this has been something that has helped me heal. So my goal is to be able to create that moment for every single organ donor family that is going through the process and is going down that road of organ donation. Um, so I want to create a box called Chris's Craft Box. And Chris's Craft Box has all the cardboard, the paints, the, like, our organ donor coordinator took a lock of mum's hair and put it in an organza bag and put it in a book for my children. So they got one each. So we have a memento box. And when they were little, if at times they didn't feel like they could talk about things or tell me how they were feeling, because they knew I was sad too and they sometimes struggled with that, they could just sit down with the box and open the box and remember her and that would evoke the conversation around Noni or my mum and and it was a memento that they knew was theirs and it was so beautiful. So in order to step this up a bit, what I've done is with the book, there's a place in the back that actually has a really faint outline of a handprint 
and it says, I love you and I always will. And in that spot is where the organ donor coordinators can insert their loved one's handprint. There's also a heart that when you put the loved one's thumbprint and the thumbprint, it actually creates a heart. And if you would like to get in touch with Leah to order her book, please head to our Facebook page, lovelifeshow.com, where we will have the link up. Thank you to my beautiful guests today, Cassie, Philippa and Leah. Your stories and wisdom are truly healing. I hope you've enjoyed this important conversation. And if it has now sparked a desire to consider being an organ donor and giving the ultimate gift, then head to donatelife.gov.au where there's loads more information for you. I think there's even a myth-busting section that covers off much more than we've done today. And until next week, keep committing to paying it forward. Life is perfect, I'm not trying, it's just happening. It's a beautiful day.